We start, we start Job today. But before we start Job, I wanted to, just to touch a little bit on Jeremy's um, sermon last week. Talk about the vision of the church. And I um, want to just echo what he said. That was very valuable. One of the things that I, I felt he missed was about um, last, last year's vision in January, and then we kind of got stalled in that, talking about the circles of commitment that you see out in the foyer. And our goal for, for people of heights and within our community is for you to mature, for you to, to, to grow deeper in your faith. That's what we want. We, when we talk about you know, loving God, loving God's people, love serving God, as you do them, we believe that you will advance in your faith if you do those things. And so what those circles of commitment out in the foyer are for you to look at so you can say, hey, where am I? Where am I when it comes to heights? And no place is bad. Okay, if you, if you feel yourself, you're like, I'm in this circle. Okay, great. But we want you to start advancing so what's the next step? What, how do you figure out what you need to do? If you're, if you're out in the, in the neighborhood and you've just sort of been attending, what's my next step? My well, next step is to get involved in a life group, get involved in a community of people that, that love you and you share and be vulnerable with one another. And as you grow and help in that, then the next step, the next step, there's no, there's no speed commitment on this. There's no, there's no time constraints in that. But we want you to be moving forward, and that's what, that our vision continually is that, and it will continue to be so. One of the things I wanted to mention, I saw, I've talked about goals, and, I, and you know, it's been really great. I've been able to uh, talk with a lot of people uh, in the last few weeks, and you know, one of my goals is always reading, reading lots of books, and um, I didn't get to read as many as I wanted this last year, but, and I shared that with you. I was vulnerable that I didn't make my goal and, and that's okay. But what I did want to tell you, and I, I didn't go off, but I wanted to share with you, is three books that I read this last year that I wanted to recommend to you. I don't recommend all the books that I read. There sometimes I read a book. I don't agree with them at all. Or I agree with some of it, but not all of it. I don't want to trip you up. But there are, there are three books, in addition to the Bible, obviously, that I would recommend to you to read in 2021. Okay, And they're in... Levels of intellect to their summer. We'll, we'll start with the easiest one, and then we'll go to the one that's kind of like, huh, it's, it's, a little, it's a little tough, but it's, it's worth the read. So, okay, here are the three. Number one is God Guides, okay, by Mary um, Greek, Greek. She was a missionary for, uh, in India. And, and basically, what if you read this book... The premise is that if you listen, God will guide you. And if God guides, God provides. It's, it's just an encouraging book. It will, it's, like, it's like a book worth of testimony time. And God doing amazing things and, and bringing about his purposes. Just people would listen. That's the first one, God guides. The second book is one that's a little bit up there. It's called uh, by Dr. Henry Cloud. It's called Nine Things You Simply Must Do. This has revolutioned my life uh, in the last year and helped me to uh, be a better person and more successful in what I'm doing. And by successful, I don't mean like 
financial. I mean, successful is in relationships and in in um, being more of an adult, which is always difficult for me. <laughs> All right, and then the third book I want to, I want to uh, recommend to you is by Matt Chandler. You guys, many of you have done studies by uh, Matt Chandler, who's a pastor at the Village Church in, in the Dallas area. He wrote a book called The Explicit Gospel. And this is a, this is a tough read. But what, basically what he does is he examines the gospel and examines it in the fact that there are churches today, people, young people growing up, and they don't know what the gospel is. They don't know what it means. And so he talks, he talks about the gospel um, on the ground and the gospel in the air. And he, he breaks out. It's full of scripture and um, very hopeful in that. So those three books are the books that I, I recommend for you to read this year because I read them last year. All right. But let's, let's dive into another book that we're going to read together as a body. And that's the book of Job. Hopefully you've got one of these. One of these, or if you get a PDF that Barb sent you so that you can read along daily this uh, book of Job. Because we're going to be in wisdom literature for almost the duration of the year. Okay? I, did, I was just thinking of something when Jeremy was talking about the texting 207-4443. You know, you can text welcome. You can text PDF. You can text life group. What happens if it's a new person comes in, is interested in life groups, and also wants to study? Would they have to just type in welcome life group PDF? That would be a lot. But hey, you'd get it done. All right, so I've got two passages of Scripture I want to share with you today, and none of them are in Job. But they point to Job. So let's look at Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. And this is Ezekiel speaking. He says, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, if a country sins against me by being unfaithful, and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off its food supply and send famine upon it and kill its people and their animals, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they could save only themselves by their righteousness, declares the sovereign Lord. Now, this is significant when we talk about Job, because if you do any kind of study, if you do any kind of search on Job, many people are like, well, we're not sure if Job really actually existed. This could be just a story. But you have the sovereign Lord talking to Ezekiel, and he talks about three men. And for, and for God to compare, if these three men... These were the big three in God's estimation of righteousness. These are the big three, are the ones that, if they couldn't make it, nobody would make it, sort of. Instant, what he's, what he's saying here. So you got Noah, who is basically, because of the flood, Noah is the father of everyone. And then you have Daniel, who was a contemporary of Ezekiel during that time. And then Job, who we don't even know what his nationality was, really. I mean, it'd be like, you know, you know, the three really good people 
you know, someone way far out, like the father of our country, George Washington, Trey Gowdy, who's a contemporary, and then C.S. Lewis. Wait, what? How does that correspond? That's, this, is the way, this is the way God is talking to Ezekiel. He's got Noah, he's got Daniel, the beginning and the end of where, the, where he's at right now, and then Job. And I think that's significant because we could talk about Job. God is talking to Ezekiel like Job was a real person. So if God thinks he's a real person, I think he's a real person. Okay? And then you go to James chapter 5, verse 11. He says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. In the New Testament, we have the mention of Job. Wow. Okay, so let's... Usually what I do when it comes to introductions, and you know me, I get a little crazy and I get... I'm sort of like the cheerleader. I'm going to encourage you to read the book of Job. You're going to go, go, go. Today's not going to be that way. I think today is going to be more of an analytical. And I see people yawning already. Great. Now stop. (laughs) But let's talk a little bit about the book of Job. Because, listen, if if you like light reading, this is not for you. This is this is probably one of the tough, toughest theological books found in our canon. It's a tough gig. Because in the whole grand scheme of things, we we see these eloquent dialogues and it's poetry in in the in the Hebrew language with with Job. And with his three companions, they they speak when if it's the Hebrew language, it's sort of like Shakespeare, you know, with the dynamic pentameter. It's if if you look at that, the, the consonants, there's a wall there, and they have eight consonants, and they have eight consonants, or they have six consonants, they have six consonants, and it goes A B C C B A. Do you understand what I'm saying about A, B, about meanings? Okay, A and A are corollaries. B and B, C and C, and so it's it's poetry, and it's very similar that we found we have found extra biblical evidence of this happening in other poetries around 2000 B.C. So, if you look at Job being found in the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, and in our canon, you find out that Job is probably the most ancient of all the books that we find in scripture. I mean, in actuality of happening. I mean, Moses wrote the Torah, but, and he wrote about the beginning of the creation of the earth and the heavens and the earth, but that he wrote that after Job existed, I believe. Now, there's other dates and places that if you read any kind of commentaries and studies, you have people say, well, Job was probably written this time. Probably written this time. It was probably around. They say, a lot of people say that they think that um, Moses wrote Job. Okay. 
How do you get that? Well, because Mo- Moses was, was stuck with the Midianites for about 40 years. And he, we believe that where Job was, it, was, it could have been closer to that area. And so he heard an oral tradition, so he wrote it down. We have no evidence of that. So there's many guesses on the date, but the most prevailing estimate is around 2000 B.C., or sometime during the second millennium B.C. The language and poetry style in Job is very similar to the other ancient extra-biblical works during that time for the Sumerian writings in, in Mesopotamia. We found excerpts of it, and it's, it's, it, it's similar in style and writing. The reason why we know that because this is ancient Hebrew. And many of the words that are only found in the Bible one time are found in Job. This is where we get, they've come up with this word, Leviathan, okay, or behemoth. I'm not sure what the word is, but this is what they've come up with. I mean, scholars, not me, that the translation. And some of these words are so ancient that they just don't use them, even in Jesus' time of Aramaic or, or Greek or, or, or Hebrew, and that's why I believe it was written much later. So, and I, I, I'm going to tell you my personal belief. My personal belief is that this is the most ancient of all canonical scriptures, even predating Moses writing the Torah. Um, probably post Babel, but before Abraham. Okay? Here's, my, here's the reason why I'll give you some, some reasons. One, Job's years of longevity. He lived 140 years. It rivals that of Abraham during the patriarchal time. His position, his wealth, is measured in cattle and livestock. He acted as priest for his family, which is a shared tradition not far removed from the Hebrew patriarchs that we see. Also, the picture of Roban Sabian and Chaldean tribesmen you know who end up killing his family? They're just roaming around and they attack. Is fit for an earlier date because the Chaldeans settled after 1000 BC. We, we know that for a fact. So it was previous to that. So I said sometime after the Tower of Babel and around the time of Abraham. Interior evidence is that Job was from the land of Uz which Genesis links in several locations with Arameans, so east of Palestine, probably in Mesopotamia. And the mention of someone being um, a Temite is that it could be around the area of Edom, but it wasn't called Edom then because there was no Esau yet. So let's look at a map, if we could, real quick, and I'll, I'll show you where I think this could be, where we think possibly... This location, okay. This is the ancient world. You see it's all color-coded of the three sons of Noah and where they went, okay. So this, the sort of uh, purple one is, the, is where Shem and his descendants settled. And then you have Ham and Japheth. So the green is the Japheth. They, went, they go up into Asia and probably Europe as we know it. And then you have, you have um, the Shemites that are, settle along here of uh, Arabia, and then there's kind of an intermix here, and then you have the, the Hamites that are 
meeting up around here. We okay, here's Palestine. Here's where, here's where um, the promised land is. And this is where, but we believe somewhere along here or along here is where Job was from and where he lived. Okay? And so, um, why that's important, I don't know. Because, but we do know one thing. He's not part of the Abrahamic line. That's, it's astounding to me that the Jewish scriptures are filled with a book by someone who is not part of the Abrahamic covenant. But yet is still found in the scriptures. I mean, Job doesn't match with, with the law. He does, it, there's no mention of the law. There's no mention of a covenant. But there is a mention of his relationship with Yahweh. So I liken him, I liken Job to another character that we find in Genesis. Melchizedek. Melchizedek is sort of this guy that sort of comes out of nowhere. We don't know where he's at. He blesses Abraham. He is not part of Abraham's covenant, but he blesses him because he is a priest of God Most High. And we don't know where he went. He just shows up in Genesis. He blesses Abraham. Abraham gives him a tenth, and then he just disappears. Of course, we find him in Hebrews. We find him in other things. But he, Job is sort of this guy. God is his God, and by God, he means Yahweh. He has a relationship, but he's not part of the Shemites. We don't know where he's from, but it's interesting. Now, authorship, I brought up earlier, it could have been, it could have been um, Abraham who wrote it. It could have been Moses who wrote it. There's all kinds of, and there, there's, I read a lot of commentaries. A lot of people think that Solomon wrote it, which, because he wrote all the other wisdom literature that's found in Scripture, they say, well, maybe he wrote this. But it's, I, I, don't, I don't buy it. I'll tell you, my, my feeling, my best guess is who wrote it was Elihu. And you'll, you'll see him in Job. He's not one of the companions of, of Job, the three that come and have this long discourse with him. It's the fourth guy who appears to have been there the whole time, and then he's younger, and he kind of goes, Hey, guys, I think we should listen to Job. Well, but he's wrong in this. But like, where did this guy show up? There's no introduction to him. He just, I think he could actually have been the author. Anyway, I told you it's amazing that the Jews actually kept this book, and it's in their canon, so it's in our canon. But let's get back to why we're going to read Job here for the next month or so. There's a purpose and it's a grand purpose. And if you assume that it's an ancient book, it's one of the most important things that God wants to share with mankind, I believe. And that's the, the problem of suffering. And how we deal with suffering. And so... You have a prologue, and we are exposed to something that Job does not know, none of his friends know, of a conversation that takes place in God's court, where the accuser comes, and God says, hey, you seen Job? He's a righteous dude. 
And the accuser says some amazing things. Well, of course he serves you. You make his life peachy. My paraphrase. And so God says, you, you, you think that's the reason why Job is righteous and faithful to me? Bring some catastrophe on him. And so the accuser does, and God allows it to happen. Unbeknownst to Job, Satan is unleashed on him. And then, he, Job doesn't curse God. And then the accuser goes back and tells God, well, skin for skin. So he loses his family. Nothing's happened to him. God says, okay, don't take his life, but you can do anything else to him. And he does. And so you have this crazy first couple of chapters where you've got stuff that's going on in heaven and unbeknownst to what's going here on earth. And then the bulk of the book is the discourse where Job talks with his friends, his three friends who are seemingly trying to help him get it right. And the crazy thing about this is that Job goes back and forth. There's time he's just really, oh, I trust God, it's going to be great. There's a lot of time, why is God doing this to me? I don't know what's going on. And this is up and down, up and down. And you know why I love it? Because that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens with us. When I'm struggling, there's times I'm like, you know, God's going to get me through this. And I have a good face and I'm feeling it. And there's a lot of times like, God, what is going on? This is real life. And this is, this is why when this book is just, oh, it, you can't fit it into a genre. You can't fit it into a glove and say, okay, there's this great purpose for Job. You know why it's not such a great purpose for Job? We can't figure it out yet. Because Job at the point demands an audience with God. He demands that he get told why he is suffering. And God never answers his question. Job goes, why, 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 why? For 30 chapters. And God never answers his question. You know why I love that? Because there's sometimes I go, why, 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 why? And God never answers my question. And his friends have this attitude that sometimes we do. It's called the retribution principle. And the retribution principle states this. If you do everything God tells you to do, you're going to succeed and flourish and everything's going to be great. And if you disobey God, things are going to be terrible. They're going to, they're going to be suffering. They're going to be awful. And we try to put God in the box and we say, this is how God operates. And there is some truth and some validity to it. If you continue to on the path of sin, there's going to be suffering. It's not going to be because of God. It's going to be because of your own stupidness. I'm talking to myself too. But it's true. But there is not that strong correlation that if I just obey God and I just do it, then everything's going to be great. Because that's why we have Job here. Because God calls Job righteous, not man. He calls him righteous. 
But yet, Job still suffers. I mean, devastation suffering. Not just, I got, I got a pain in here. What he, what he went through, I don't think I could do, honestly. I, don't. I stub my toe and I think life is over. I, I don't do pain well. My wife calls me a baby. Maybe I'm sick. Oh, grow up. Come on. Do you bear children? Yeah. Well, when you can, then we'll see how you suffer. So what Job seeks to do, part of the purpose, is to show is that suffering isn't isn't because, isn't just because you sin. Oh, we fall into this trap all the time. We go through this a lot of trouble. God, why are you punishing me? And I feel like sometimes God says, well, it's not about you. I mean, I remember distinctly yelling at God because my, my marriage stunk for a long time. I said, nothing good can come from this. I said that to God. I yelled at him. Nothing good can come from this. He has made me eat those words every day of my life since. And now I've dealt with people that they're going through tough times in their marriage. And I say, well, we, we, this is what you do. This you do this. Like, why, why should you do this? Because I did it and I got through it. You think your, your marriage is over. I'm like, you can get through. I was, we were in deeper in ridiculousness. So, Looking back in a Job-like way, some of the stuff that I've gone through in my life has not been about me. It's not about me. It's because I can minister to someone else. Because I can say, I've been there. I've done that. I'm wearing the t-shirt. You know? And so, I just want, let's, let's look at a couple questions that I want, that you're going to ask, that I, I'm hoping to answer for you as you read Job for the next couple weeks. Months? Yeah, month and a half. First question is, what kind of relationship did Job have with God? Job's biography begins with this four-part description of his character. Blameless, upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. Okay? He prayed for his children. He was concerned about the relationship with God. He was successful, wealthy, stereotype of a blessed man. In fact, God adds his own glowing approval of Job. But faced with the sudden crushing loss of everything, children, servants, herds, Job's initial response was to grieve, but to recognize God's sovereignty. Okay, so far so good. But under the harsh judgment of his friends... Job eventually struggled to understand why God seemed unwilling to settle the matters with him. Job confused the relationship with God with familiarity rather than God knowing much more than him. We will discover as we read Job Job thought he knew all about God 
when God is showing him, you knew very little about me. In fact, you could never know all about me. So sometimes we get very familiar with God, but we need to remember God is God. Yes, he's our friend. Yes, he's our savior. Yes, he gives us understanding and wisdom. But we will never get to the point where we know more than God. And if we think we do, that's when we get into trouble. Okay, number two, what kind of relationship does Satan have with God in the book of Job? Do not take, make the mistake that as the accuser accuses, that God says, um, well, okay, that he's convinced. God already knew everything that was going to happen. And don't put Satan and God on the same level. Because God is infinite. Satan is a created being just like us. Not just like us, but I mean, he's created like we're created. And he has fallen. But yet God can use the interaction to bring about his glory. And we will see this. Number three. Why do the righteous and innocent people suffer? That's going to come up. Why? Why, why, why? First of all, let's remember one thing. No human is truly righteous or innocent. We all have that sin nature. The Bible clearly states that all of sin falls short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. In understanding this truth, however, it must be admitted that on a relative human scale, righteousness and innocent people exist. We think about young small children or people that have truly tried to follow the Lord. Okay? So let's rephrase the question. Why do little children, people who live exemplary lives suffer and the answer is we don't know we don't know we would like to put God in the box we'd like to say God if you're a good God there's, there should be no suffering there should be no but we don't know what God knows and so in the end of time when we get to the we get to the book God never, I mean, Job never gets his answer to God from God, but he gets to the point where he trusts him with his suffering. He trusts him with the things that he's gone through. And that is a question that will come up as you live your life, and people are going to ask you, oh, you're a Christian, you serve God. Well, let me ask you some questions about God. You know, and sometimes it's okay, I don't know. I don't know. But I know who does know, and I trust him. Remember that as you read through the scriptures of, of Job. And then the last question is this. Why doesn't God answer all the questions that Job has or his friends have of God? How come he doesn't answer the question? I think the honest answer is I don't think we'd understand it even if he told us. The question assumes that if God answered all our questions, it would be easier to believe. Fact of the matter is that's not true. Trust goes beyond answers. Sometimes questions become a way to avoid 
trust. In the end, we must trust God more than our capacity to understand God. And that's what this amazing book that we're going to be going through will show us and teach us. Hopefully that was encouraging you to read it. You're going to get bogged down. You're going to get to chapters 3 and 4 and 5 and you're going to be like, what is this? It's worth the struggle, I'm telling you. As someone who loves the book of Job, it's worth, it's worth it. So keep it up. All right? Won't you stand? This is the only time we get to see Essie. She's, she's on the road again. Talk about a rambling, you know, you've heard the song, Rambling Man. He's a rambling woman. She's on her way. So greet her, love on her today before you leave. All right? Also, love on Ray. I haven't seen Ray in a couple of months. You've been struggling. You're back. So good to see you. It really is. Praise God. Let's, let me pray for you and dive into this book this week. Father God, we come before you. We thank you and praise you for who you are. I trust you, Lord. At least I'm trying to trust you. My humanness is the fact that I want to be in control. I want to know everything. But Lord, that's not what you want. You want obedience and trust and love. Father God, help me to do that. Help this community to do the same. As we grow in love with you, as we search the scriptures for you, In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.